This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This is not a drill. Israel is going to elections. No, you're not listening to a rerun episode from 2021, 2020, or even 2019. It's actually happening again. After the Bennett-Lapid government, which only withheld for a single year, dissipated into the abyss. Meanwhile, in Europe, it isn't too boring either. Russia's war against Ukraine slowly continues, heavily funded by EU taxpayers' money. Inflation is skyrocketing, and the strongest country in the Union, Germany, is arming up as Germany's new Chancellor Schulz pledges to build the largest European army since World War II. Germany is also Israel's most important and powerful ally in Europe. And as it intends to buy natural gas and military technology from Israel in astronomical sums, it seems like the relationship, the relations between the countries are coming to a new era. To talk about all this and much, much more, we're joined today by journalist Christine Kench. Christine is the Middle East correspondent for The Welt, one of Germany's biggest and most important new outlets. She is also the author of the book, Our Law Applies on the Street, a biographical novel about the life of Khalil, an Arab-born Berlin clan member. Out only in German, unfortunately, but hopefully soon in English or in other languages. We're super, super excited and thrilled to have Christine on the show today with us. Thank you so much for joining. How are you? Thank you for the invite. I'm good. I'm uh, excited now after your intro, actually. I'm like, yeah, so much stuff is going on. (laughs) 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 It was a good summer. Hopefully we'll get to half of it. Yeah. But is it the Welt or the Welt? It's the Welt. Welt, yeah. Welt, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Your German yeah, sucks, man. Yeah. Welt. No, so you have a good pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. You see, no, man? Um, you see? <laughs> um, it's the Weinstein in me. So, you know, we're used to this mess, but I wonder, like, from an outsider's perspective, from European, you're the civilized European, you know, us, the the savages here in the Middle East. So what's what's the, how how does it look from the outside? looking in yeah it looks like a <laughs> balagan yeah um actually i'm i'm quite surprised i saw i think it was from the israel democracy institute a statistic and i think this we have in common i used to study and work in italy and people always said oh my god italy is the worst uh, chaotic they have so many elections nothing is stable there and now I looked at this uh, statistic and it says that actually Israel now is uh, number one on the list uh, when it comes to the most frequent elections. It's I think it's every 2.4 years and Italy is far behind. So, wow, I'm like, yeah. it's a constant <laughs> in my life. Yeah. I, my I Italian like friends <laughs> are also shocked. Yeah, they're apparently. so happy. Finally, they're not the worst. Uh, yeah yeah they can uh, breathe now no yeah i what to explain like when it happened i was like oh no not again (laughs) and yeah but i guess it's good for me i have more work but uh, you try to you need to convey why it's happening to your readers basically right yes yes um i mean the good thing about it is the same in Italy. It's so many elections and governments, but it's always the same people. So it's a <laughs> bit like theater, you know. Now comes the next uh, act and we see how it's going to end there. 
Yeah, that we're doing do, overtime do, now. Do the German <laughs> voters, do the German, does a, the average German citizen really care what's going on in the Middle East? Um, in Israel, in particular. Normally, yes, but it changed a lot. I have to say, like the the traditional Middle East conflict or Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not so much of an interest anymore because people are just tired of it, yeah? Like, I can see it when I, like, even my editors go, like, oh, not again. <laughs> so, um, but it gained new interest with the Abraham Accords. Like, this was a huge shift. It wasn't perceived as this first, but now people see it and are really interested in it. And that's also was I think the aim of the Abraham Accords. So all the Palestinian issues now are not so much of an interest now, um, but everything geopolitical when it comes to Saudi Arabia or yeah the Gulf states and Iran. Iran is also because Germany has uh, also a lot of uh, economic relations to Iran. Um, so this is very very interesting. Um, the elections, though, I have to say right now, it's uh, yeah, people are like whatever, and they look more yeah. on Ukraine now, and uh, yeah, I stopped following what's happening there. Because Even Ukraine so got be pretty boring, no, already. Ukraine got mm, here maybe, and Germany not so much because it's like uh, as a, yeah, uh, almost a neighbor. We're pretty much involved, and there's this constant question about. Should we deliver more weapons? What kind of weapons? Now it's with Lithuania that Putin is threatening them. So it's it's actually getting more and more intense. And and for Germany, it's a huge uh, debate about their inner politics too. Like normally foreign poli politics are not so interesting for Germans. They're always like, what has this got to do with me? But now it's really about, uh, as you mentioned before, our chancellor approved a huge budget uh, for the military. I mean, in the end, it's not that huge, but like it was a big change. And uh, it's weird because like Germany always wanted to be like not involved and like because of our history, like we can't have a strong army and na, na, na. but we're in the middle of Europe. And actually, it's not even the Germans because nobody wants to get involved so much. But all other countries always said like you're the biggest economy you're in the middle of europe you have to get more involved you have to take more responsibility and now this is really the moment uh where the chances said okay like we, this is a huge shift and we have to uh gear up we need a stronger army and and, and he's getting really involved in this and that's a huge change uh, you know i googled a uh, few weeks ago how much money um, did Germany pay Russia since the beginning of the war? Mm -hmm. The sums are just ridiculous. Like for uh, gas, for gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they pay. They paid since the beginning of the war. They paid, I think, tens of billions or something like that for gas. So every month, still now, Germany is paying Russia so much money every month, yeah. and the money goes directly to killing Ukrainians. And I don't thi think like people talk about it that oh, much. Oh, people talk about it a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a big debate. The problem is um, you can't just stop paying money or all the lights go out. I mean, if you want that, okay. But it would be a huge economic crisis. So everybody's like, why are we still paying? But the problem is it's a policy that has been developed uh, since the fall of the Soviet Union. And um, it's now you can see it as a big failure of Merkel. Um, of Merkel. 
of macro specifically yeah but i think how so because the thing is she was the one to advance all this like to buy a lot of gas from putin to have um, very strong economic ties with russia and the thinking behind it was like uh, a little bit if i break it down uh, to a very easy in a re very easy and primitive way so the the concept of the european union was like first of all we start with economic relations after second world war we start like trading coal and so on and then uh, the rest will follow and now we have a political union so the thinking with Russia was how do we get better relations we start with economic relations and then of course it was an interest because gas from Russia is so there's a vast supply and it's relatively cheap so it was a thinking about uh, like having better relations with Russia, bringing them closer. And then also if you're close and your econo uh, uh, economic relations are so intertwined, the chance of having another war uh, diminish. But this obviously now was a miscalculation because you see Putin just doesn't care. He leveraged it. But is Putin um, even dependent on Germany? I mean, they're, they're not really intertwined. Germany is dependent on Russia for gas, but it's Russia dependent on Germany for anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, not specifically on Germany, but like Europe is a huge uh, client of Russia. And of course, it's a huge amount of money that breaks. I mean, they're getting, they're still paying, but they're really like our uh, economy minister is like traveling to Qatar, to Israel, like all the world and tries to get gas and energy from everywhere so we can stop. And it's like in the end of the year, they want to, uh, stop with the Russian supplies. So this completely. is completely, and this is a huge thing that's going to break away um, all Europe, and then also financially because like uh, they were thrown off out of the SWIFT system and so on, and then of and, and and inflation in Russia skyrocketed. So of course it's a huge market uh, next to the U.S., but then again there's always other players like Iran or China. You know, but like, yeah, uh, but I mean, he's financially dependent, but I was reading somewhere that he has this war chest of like six hundred billion dollars. or something. I mean, he has that like his he can, personal uh, wealth, you mean? No, or? war chest like he has like like they is, like Putin has amassed a, ch uh, a, a sum of money to, to basically enable himself to cut himself off from these. He would prefer not to. And it's good that Germany is paying him billions and he wants that. But but unlike Germany, which if they, like you said, cut ties, the electricity goes out, the lights go out. Putin can cut ties tomorrow and and, and survive and survive for at least a, a period of time. So there's nothing that Germany is exporting to Russia or, or Europe. I mean, not nothing, but uh, is there as something valuable. nothing as valuable that, that they're so dependent on? It's not specifically Germany, but the European Union and everything they are doing now is coordinated. And this is a huge thing. If you think about it, of course, he may have, I'm not a financial expert, so he might have, he has some reserves, of course. And this is also what people said. Yeah, if even if we stop paying now, he can still, he has enough weapons and there's still enough money to keep this war going. Um, this might be true, but in the long run, this is devastating. There's inflation, the whole world market like the the banking system everything and like if you look at it like uh, Russians um, like uh, there was a really good story about Lavrov um, his daughter lives in London 
his second wife lives there too. Like they all have houses, their yachts, their, all their real estate. A lot of it, uh, the major part is in Europe. This is gonna be all lost with them if authorities finally go through. And it's like in the long run, they cut like this is uh, not replaceable anymore. Like our foreign minister said, we're gonna stop getting gas from them and it's gonna be forever. She said the word forever. So this is really, he might have reserves now, but what is in five years? But like, are they this really is gonna, gonna haunt stop? him. I mean, yes. what are they doing? They're they not, have already decided it until the end of the year. So mm. this is a big run, it's a big panic Germany, now in Europe. Unlike France, doesn't have uh, nuclear. Energy. We have nuclear energy, but uh, we opted to get, uh, like after Fukushima, there was a decision to end it. And this year, the last three nuclear plants are going to uh, go out. Uh, they're going to stop. Um, but this is also, this is the biggest debate in Germany right now, because um, people are saying, okay, um, first of all, what Putin did, the best thing he did was that we are finally having like the renaissance of uh, renewable energies like i mean people said for years we have to do more and na, 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 and there was investments in this but now we're really changing to renewable energies the problem is it's not that quick we're not there yet so now people say okay until all the the wind and water and so on uh, energies are working. We need to keep going our nuclear energy. We need to uh, uh, continue mining coal. And this is a big debate now if these last three nuclear plants should go out of work or not. Um, but right now they're only re um, responsible for 6% of our electrici uh, electricity. So I think this is more like a debate like uh, ideological debate. Um, we're gonna keep on mining coal for sure for some years until we have en enough, how you say in English, wind wheels. <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, and all this stuff, uh, solar and so on and supplies from other countries. So uh, we can set. So, but what's them. gonna happen at the end of the year if they're cutting the, I mean, they're not this, gonna be It's able to a make huge race now. Like this is everything with um, our economy minister and foreign minister is doing right now, traveling the world. Uh, asking Qatar for gas and other countries and like uh, saving gas uh, and investing a lot into renewables, um, building LNG terminals, like ev like they're really looking in every corner. It's like looking for spare change. Like it's really under the couch everywhere. What can I get together to make it through the winter? Just uh, an interesting anecdote, like when Germany is here buying uh they want to buy gas from us correct me if i'm wrong but it's not that easy because we don't have the pipelines exactly. so it means it means there's a whole very expensive process of liquidation of gas and then you you liquidate it and then you ship it to europe and then you need to gas liquefy yeah and make it the gas again and it's very expensive but they're so desperate i guess that they're willing to to pay to pay the the extra price for that do yeah. you think that they'll they'll reach that goal? Do you think uh, is there any chance that the German government will uh, get to the end of the year and decide, okay, we we can't do this, we'll move ahead, or shortly after they will decide that they'll see that it's no, impossible? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, it might be delayed, but also this I don't see because it's really it's the number one debate 
and people were already arguing stop now stop now and and then they, uh, they said well, we're gonna have a huge economic crisis if we stop now but the pressure is so high like if from they, the people from the people from the partners yeah but the, the people are fickle right i mean they're not thinking long term but it, it, i have i have to say i've never seen a topic so dramatic so passionate and so staying so long uh, except from covid maybe in the top news and it's really it's about our existence it's about our freedom it's about our values it's not just about energy and if they would say ah oh, we failed we can't do it i mean basically this would be the end of the government i think mm. but it's not gonna happen like we at least they say they have almost enough reserves for the winter now but of course energy prices are skyrocketing uh, you can always buy coal and right? yeah but <laughs> and people and it's really gonna come to this is what people expect that we got really gonna have to, i mean not me i'm here now i'm <laughs> gonna be sweating in winter now that we have to i mean we as the people uh wear like uh two sweaters in the winter instead of turning the heating on and that that's it now like it's wow. really about saving energy and yeah do you think that with the loss. what bothers the german the average German citizen the most is really the fact that the, you know, egregious war crimes or, or, or per se that, that Putin is committing in Ukraine or the fact that he is encroaching on European territory. Do you think that it's... It's both. I mean, when it started and all the refugees came, I mean, if you're in Berlin now uh, on the main train station, it's packed with women and children and pets and it's like really like it's very emotional scenes yeah? how many refugees uh, came to germany um yeah you i don't know for sure like, like it's tens I, of thousands or hundreds of thousands it's hundreds of thousands okay. i think it might be more than a million now but i like actually don't get me wrong i on the, i didn't look up the numbers but i think more than four million people fled from ukraine and the major parts go to the neighboring countries and then the second uh, favorite uh and uh destination is germany and especially berlin so it's like uh, for germany it's like 2015 when all the syrian refugees came now we have another wave of um, it's even more now it's uh, daily it's more than then and there it was really like where do we put them like stadiums went out of work soccer games were canceled uh, uh, schools like everywhere everywhere they could find space they put people and now it's the same situation again um, and in the beginning, there was a bit uh, bitter debate saying, yeah, we weren't that welcoming when the Syrians came, but now Ukrainians are coming. And suddenly people, because the emergency is so high now, that people are called to, or asked to um, to take uh, Ukrainians into their private homes. And all my friends, everybody I know who has a spare room or not even, are having like Ukrainian families Still. now. Yes, of course, it's going on and going on and going on. Um, and so there was a bitter debate because people said we weren't that welcoming when the Syrians came. And it might be true, not for the beginning, for sure. But it's also it's so close. It's people who come that we think the culture is very close to us. 
they look familiar we know a little bit about ukraine it's not so far away so and it's really on our borders so this is really the connection now it's not only the also the war crimes you see but it's in our houses mm -hmm. this war is in our houses so it's really emotional this whole topic you know? but how much of the pressure is coming because berlin is like a very liberal city if i'm not mistaken right i'm assuming yeah kind of like tel aviv how much of the pressure is coming from berlin as opposed to coming from kind of you know the east like the german like home you know what i mean like the 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 rural areas the other cities maybe more conservative side though? the pressure on the government to to stop taking natural gas from russia and to end this the end this war or at least try to at least detach german germany from no there is a, a lot of pressure and it's not uh, limited to berlin because it's also it is how can i tell you this i really have discussions with my friends like we were thinking about uh if putin now decides well it was nice in berlin too and he's gonna go further like in the beginning i read all this facebook post in uh, in kiev and so on um, telling people to stay and build Molotov cocktails and defend their cities. And I was talking to my friends, wow, like if this is going to be our reality, what are we going to do? Like we're going to stay here for real and start building bombs and joining the resistance. And it might sound a little bit ridiculous. We're really not there yet. But this is the thought that's entering everybody's minds. Because half of Germany was part of the USSR. Yes, of course. And, and, uh, and so this is really... And also... Even from older people, we still remember the war when they were fighting Russians, obviously historically on the wrong side. But it is, seems very close and all this trauma and all these fears, uh, all these memories of war are, are coming up. And it's really in, in our everyday lives. So this gas question is really about stop it. It's connected to stopping the war like like doing something so it's really uh, intense debate let's get into your area of expertise which which is the middle east yes right because you are the re middle, middle east uh, correspondent so how does that all affect the germany's relationship with it well i mean we touched it on the intro mm -hmm, but how mm -hmm. does it look from your end yeah actually i was when it started i was like oh i'm far away and i was thinking should i go to ukraine and what can i do from here and now you realize that this war is affecting the whole world, of course, and especially also the Middle East. Um, our economy minister and vice chancellor was here like two weeks ago and he spoke to Bennett and to Lapid and so on. And um, the main concern here is like, I mean, you remember the Arab Spring. It started because bread prices were rising and this is happening now uh, again. I mean... Because uh, of Ukraine, because Ukraine, of Ukraine is the exporter of because yeah, Ukraine and and Russia are the main uh, exporters of wheat, and now uh, it's stuck in the harbors. They are mined and it can't get out, and then of course farmers are being bombed. So, um, and it's already starting. Prices are rising, and Israel has the money to uh, buy uh, wheat on the market for a lot of money. But when it already when it comes to Egypt, they don't have the money and everybody's talking that uh, about that there's a huge hunger crisis on the horizon and it's basically the the countries that are most effect, uh, affected are egypt 
Syria, Lebanon, uh, even Jordan. So this is all your neighbors. And like apparently uh, it's the number one concern here, how to help those countries that uh, not everything is going to be doomed and we're going to have another Arab Spring and like revolutions and, and yeah, civil unrest everywhere around Israel. So it's really uh, the thinking here is now what can we do how can we help those countries so it's not uh, so what germany the whole how germany enters the game so there is um they didn't say it yet like um so israel and germany decided to do something about it to help like to help with wheat imports for these countries there's no details now uh, about concrete projects but of course the will to donate to give money is uh, is very high right now wow the world's a mess yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and not only this i mean you know you need putin for syria the idf needs the approval if it wants to bomb iranian uh posts in syria so yeah. you know all these questions like i mean it's not in front of your door it's so vividly like in germany or europe right now but uh, but actually it is so you're li living here as a as the correspondent from the world for how long you've been here I'm now here for two years, but I have been living here 12 years ago, four years ago, always for half a year, some months. And now I'm here since two years and I'm going to stay some more. I okay. Think. And how is it like, how's your experience here? My experience here. Hmm. You've been to, you live bittersweet. in... Bittersweet. Bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more. Um, we like bittersweet. I love Israel, otherwise I wouldn't have returned. But I have to say it was a bit of a difference for me now when I came here. And 12 years ago or four years ago, I was still younger, of course, and I knew I would be here for a limited time. So it's basically like a long term tourist. I was working, but, you know, I was like doing weekend trips and trying to see as much as I can. And I tried to learn Hebrew, but not with too much energy. And now uh, the diff okay, I came here with Corona. I came here with the first wave. I had to go to an isolation hotel for two weeks and it was not the funny party hotels but one where you really had to stay in your room and see nob nobody for two uh, weeks and even when i was in the dan um, panorama at some point and when i looked outside i didn't see anybody on the street or on the beach because it was this lockdown where you couldn't really leave your house so it felt like zombie apocalypse <laughs> and um yeah, and I feel like life now here is even more stressful, more tough. Like people are really struggling to pay their rents uh, and everything get even more expensive. So um, like when you come here as a tourist, you see the beach and you're like, wow, I live in a beach city now. It's so great. But I think the beaches, if you Tel Aviv wouldn't have the beach, uh, this city would just implode because people are so <laughs> stressed and there's nothing nice in life you always have to work and you can't afford the restaurants anymore but there's the beach so it's like yeah i mean it's uh, tough to live here like everybody else and dealing with bureaucracy and all this stuff so you get all the israelis else. who flee to berlin yeah, yeah, I totally get them now. I actually, I don't know if you rem remember the Milky scandal. Yeah. But I actually love Milky. I named one of my cats Milky. <laughs> we need to explain, um, though, to, to the American audience, what's the Milky scandal? Ah, yes. So it's a, it's a chocolate 
pudding with uh, cream, right? Yeah. And uh, there's the same thing, I guess, everywhere in the world. But um, so there it's called was, milky. It's called milky. Uh, and apparently, an Israeli guy who moved to Berlin, he went to a grocery store and then he just posted a picture of his receipt and people lost it. It's like eight years ago, I think, or something like something that. Something like yeah. that, yeah. But the thing is, like, it was maybe a third or even less of the price you would have to pay if you would have bought the same things here. And was apparently was very shocking for Israelis was like he bought a milky, like a German version of a milky, and it was something like 50 agorot or something like this. Like, what is it? It's not even a dollar. And uh, in Israel, it costs like four shekel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like, t- yeah, I'm very bad at math, but it's like it's less than you half. you could buy eight milkies for the price of one, I think. And um, and people were like, wow, why is this? Why is our country so expensive? And na na na, we should all move to Berlin. And then of course, uh, this was a big debate, yeah. and people got really upset. I still have friends in Berlin to this day. Yeah, I, my Israeli friends live in my apartment in Berlin now, and I'm here. It was actually <laughs> ironic. I was like, when I finally moved here, all my friends moved to Berlin. I'm like, great. <laughs> I hope the milky was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. So, but you lived. Sorry. No. Yeah. How how is it dealing with the Israeli culture, though? I mean, you, there's the difficulties, mm. the economic difficulties, and the financial difficulties. But how how about you know dealing with the Israelis and dealing with the population here? Yeah. It's really funny because, as I said, a lot of my Israeli friends live in live in Berlin or also in other cities in Germany, and um, I I I was talking to my friend Dana recently. I think like Dana, we have to do something out of it, maybe a podcast or something. Because I'm like I'm like, why is it like Lama Kara? Like I'm like I'm experiencing something and I'm writing here. I'm like, why? What is this? And she's like. Ah, this is because of Lana. And then she's like, but why are Germans so? And like, we're constantly lost in translation or something and explaining each other why people are acting the way they do. And it's, um, there's a, a lot of different, like there is some similitar- similarities, but also a lot of differences. I don't even know where to start. I mean, like, for example, like this, everybody says when you want, it's not only Germans, when they move here, it's like Israelis are very direct like which can be perceived as rude i like to see it more like you're like a big family and like you talk to people in the street like to your brother like actually people are like and it's very much direct and it's not so polite and formal um and yeah also a lot of other other things like um so maybe yes maybe one, one thing that's really difficult for me is like so Germans are very judgmental. There's a Dutch writer who wrote once. He was a correspondent in in Germany, and I think he's true. He was like ev- uh, Germans like to punish, and I think this is true. Like it's like for example, when I had to, I was riding my bicycle to work in Berlin every morning, and there are bicycle lanes, but they're really uh, broken, and p- they really have to fix it. So normally I was t- uh, riding on the street. And every morning, I swear, I had at least two people shout at me, this is a street, drive on the bicycle lane. And they're in really, Berlin. Yeah, yeah, in Berlin. They're shouting at you, yeah? And so here, I come here, and I'm like, I, I, there's death through cocky net. Like, there's like this electric scooters 
who drive uh, which drive everywhere on the side lanes and you really have to watch out to not be killed by a bicycle or a, or a scooter because people you drive everywhere and when i came here my inner german wanted to like this is not the bicycle lane like and then i realized nobody says anything like you you can be you can be in an accident because you're afraid to get stabbed maybe i i would shoot them if but, I had but then everybody's weapon. doing the same <laughs> like everybody's kind of misbehaving everybody is taking the fastest way and the traffic is a huge balagan anyway so people are used to it and for me they i feel they are really relaxed and they don't care so much and nobody's saying anything this is really different so here like i'm often walking the street and somebody's overtaking me something something and in my and like I'm screaming inside of myself. I'm like, this is not right. But I'm, I'm, I'm not shouting out loud. But actually just one time, like two weeks ago, I was riding with my bicycle and it was a very narrow lane and a car was driving towards me. And I thought it would make some space, but it didn't. And in the end, I really had to jump with my bicycle to the side and I almost fell because he was just going and not like he would have overtaken me. So I was so angry that I blurted out in German something like "you asshole" or like like something like this, and then the whole street went silent. And then one woman was like, "There's really no need to shout in German here." <laughs> 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 I was like getting on my bike. I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna run quick now." <laughs> wow. Was, so, so now I decided, and uh, like actually, if That's something actually, like this happens again, I'm gonna scream in Italian because Italian <laughs> yeah. is such a cute language and historically. I think that's actually a, a good weapon. Um, I'm gonna start using it. Yeah. I'm gonna start shouting in German at people. No, really, if you do it, I, because I have a German friend, but she has like a Jewish family heritage, so she has no problem at all to scream in German here. And like, I'm already like hiding under the table when she does this because i'm like oh my god you can't shout in german here but we sat at the beach and there was a fight between two guys and my friend was like hey or something like Achtung! and the whole place went quiet and the guys stopped <laughs> fighting they still had each other at their colors and they were like what 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 so it's very effective but i don't want to be the one using, <laughs> using this weapon wait but you lived in jaffa a year ago also during uh, the war i'm no, I moved there directly after the war mm. and I've been living there uh, 12 years ago also okay. for some time. But I wonder, as a, as the foreign correspondent during the war, mm. because like, how do you see your colleagues? There was a lot of debate about how this war was covered. The war here in Here in, in Israel in a year ago, yeah, in Gaza and the, the riots inside mm -hmm. Israel. Mm -hmm. So how is it like your first war you experienced here? Mm, let me think. Actually, yes. Yeah, I always uh, was here. Running to the shelters. I mean, I've been in, I have been in, in Gaza um, and I've experienced bombing there, but not in Tel Aviv. No, this was and also not. So how did you Jerusalem. approach this, the reporting of, of the, the war? Mm. It's challenging, no? Yeah. What do you mean in, t in terms of? It's hard not to take sides, right? Ah, this, yeah. Mm, yeah, this is also a very specific debate in Germany. Actually, I have to say, in Germany, we have a big discussion about what is uh, like what is Israel critique, what is uh, anti-Semitic, and you have this in a lot of countries, I think. But in, in um, now, I have to say, when I read the news of British outlets or even just the New York Times, sometimes 
it's for me it's like wow like it's like it's really harsh it's biased it is very biased and um and when i compare it to german media and the debates we have in the german media if this is biased or too much or it's taking sides what i read in other outlets it's really much much stronger so um i think if you would read any german newspaper um you would think ah that's harmless you know like okay there might be critique but comp- really compared to american or also british news outlets i find like you think it's because of the history because germans are more of careful course, yes of course there is a big uh yeah people are very careful what to write and um they of course they don't want to be perceived as being anti-semitic and it's it's very sensitive but then is there the any s- criticism of the of hamas and of yes of course so of course there is a lot of criticism of israel and of course there's biased articles i don't think there is something like really objective or neutral reporting this is a philosophical question but i don't think it exists and then of course every newspaper has a political position and uh, the more left-wing mainstream newspapers tend to be more critical uh, towards israel and my newspaper actually is perceived as being more pro or israel friendly whatever that means so and of course like covering a war is very challenging because like i didn't sleep for 11 days almost um and i wrote like something like three articles a day i did videos i did tv and then you have like half an hour to write about an attack and every single word is a landmine um so it's really challenging to stay neutral to choose your words carefully and not write something that somebody could perceive as being biased or pro this or anti this so this is really challenging yeah but um yeah i got a lot of critique from both sides (laughs) can you give us an example of something that you kind of had struggled with while reporting here like how something Mm. how you weren't sure Mm. how i weren't sure um how to how to depict or how to convey or how to write it so what was uh what was really challenging was this uh kind of civil war and and cities like a lot i i went there i got in between the (laughs) lines actually and it's i spend a day there and i i talked to uh to the people where the synagogues were burned for example and for th- I think it's all started in Lod when there was a demonstration, and then uh, young Arabs came also with fire bombs to a Jewish neighborhood, and then um, one young Arab guy was shot, and uh, the Arab side claimed that he wasn't even <coughs> part of the protest and he was far away and he was deliberately shot, and then the Jewish Jewish side claimed that they were firing in the air. And then this happened and it was just self-defense. Um, and I was talking to both sides and it's difficult, you know, I haven't been there. So uh, people on the Arab side was like, no, he was far away and they were shooting at us. And then I talked to the people uh, who were shooting and they were like, listen, it was so many of them and they were coming closer and closer with firebombs. And we were like the last line and we, and we were just shooting in the air. It was a chaos and suddenly somebody was on the floor. So it's like, it's hard to report about this when, when everything is so tense and every side feels like being 
harassed and and there's violence against and in this case it was true there was a lot of violence on, on both sides so if i i wrote something like about lot like how many synagogues were burned and that also a muslim cemetery was burned and then like Israelis are like, hey, like you can't compare this. It's what mu uh, much more air violence. On the on the other side, it was like you didn't write about that they were coming to our neighborhood. And na na na. It's like really every side feels like coming too short. But then again, I have so many lines, and then here, I f sometimes feel like I have to use all my space already just to explain the context. Like some years ago, I wrote about uh, this is another story about sperm smuggling from Israeli prisons to Gaza and it was from a woman's magazine and uh, and then the editor goes like yeah really really like the story but can you maybe explain the Middle East uh, con um, conflict in just one or two sentences <laughs> and this uh, is how I feel every day like you know there's so much context and I have like three lines for it wow it's difficult yeah yeah, I don't only want to complain. I mean, I love my job and it's really interesting <laughs> what's going on. But yeah, it's a sensitive issue for sure. Let's talk a bit about the book. Mm -hmm. So how did it come to be? Um, actually, it's all started also 2015 when all the Syrian refugees came to Germany. And there was a big debate about whether we can take in so many people and if we can integrate them because the culture is so different. It's a lot of Muslims, what's with anti-Semitism and so on. And, um, and then people were saying, look, uh, we have already Arab refugees and they d didn't integrate so well. And we have this big problem in Germany, which is called, it's like Arab mafia, we call it clans. Um, and of course, there's all kinds of mafias. There's the Italian mafia, Russian mafia, and so on. Um, but the Arab mafia is very visible in Germany because in the end, it's like Jaffo. Like you see people with expensive cars and like racing down the street. And like, and you think like, where do they have the money from? And, um, and there's often like, yeah, like uh, fights on the streets and it is really like the news you get here from Jaffo. This is like my old quarter in Berlin. You have shootings on the streets and, and, and the same thing happened. Like um, there were shootings also years ago, but then nobody wanted to live in, in the Jaffo of Berlin. So which is Neukölln, Neukölln, where all the Israelis go now and all the hipsters go now. It's the same. It was gentrified. And now you have a mixture of hipsters, young families and uh, Arab and Turkish families. Um, and so some years ago, there was a um, there's a big park on the old uh, airport field and people love to go there. And it was a Sunday when uh, eight people came and they sh shot one guy in front of a uh, van that was selling ice cream to kids and like some bullets actually hit the the van and this guy died and he was a member of some family and it was like rival families fighting and so this topic became very uh, popular because it was in front uh, of families and it was like yeah, self-justice in an open space. Um, and I started researching it and talking a lot to, to the families. And uh, what I wanted to do was get a, in a view, like a view 
of inside this society, of inside this mafia, because everybody was talking about it and nobody was talking with them because it's very close structures and so on. And I finally managed to find one guy who was ready to talk. And he was born in one of the eight major families. He founded the first cocaine taxi in Berlin. It's a very common thing in Berlin. You can have delivered your drugs everywhere. And it's, it's like the vault for drugs. Um, and he founded it. And and then when he was like 23 or 24, he had what we called a gangster burnout. And he stopped, he uh, went back to school. And now he's like a street worker, social worker. And um, yeah, so he told his story. He told about honor killings and the drug business and the family values and arranged marriages and how they see German society and religion and wearing hijab or no, all these things. And he was the first one to talk. And um, you, yeah, it was really interesting to write this book with them because it really gives you a view about how this society works and what are the values wow. and yeah. After getting to know that society and the culture of, do you feel any differently about, or I, we never talked about how you feel or your thoughts about the, the German approach to kind of the Syrian refugee crisis. But I wonder if, mm. if it, influence one how you felt about it and two if it influenced it in any it way. influences a lot and it's also um, part of the book because i'm afraid we're repeating the same mistakes again not as bad but like um germany for a long period of time refused to acknowledge that we're an immigration state so when refugees came what we did was Uh, we said okay you can stay here as long as there's war in your country but then you have to go back But then uh, it's the nature of wars that they go on for a long time. And then people were here like 10 years, 12 years, children were born in Germany. And then suddenly they said, okay, you have to go back. Mm -hmm. And like children, I mean, it's the same problem now. Children that are born in the country, they don't even speak the language anymore. All their ties are here now. And suddenly they have to go back. Or um, they couldn't go back because these refugees, they are originally from... Uh, from a province that's in Turkey nowadays, close to Syria, but they're Arabs. And when there were the Kurdish wars in the 1920s, they um, escaped to Beirut. And then there was the civil war in Lebanon. They actually followed a lot of Palestinians to Berlin. And um, they are like stateless, like they don't, they, Lebanon never gave them a passport, so you can't really send them back. And now they're also here for generations, so what to do with them? Um, and still the government uh, said, okay, we don't give you real passport all the rights. We just give you a paper that says you can stay here for now, but every few months or every few years you have to renew it and we're going to prove if you still have the right to be here or not. So what happened was they didn't get the permission to work, so they couldn't build their own lives. They were all put in social housing and they were all put in the same quarters. So basically the state created ghettos of people who didn't need to go to school, who didn't have work permits. So they, the state itself created a parallel society and did nothing for integration. And now we're wondering why we're having this clan and mafia structure. But isn't integration you know? a bit of a condescending slash racist? Like, who's why? Sh why should they change their culture? 
right? Because, yeah, you can talk about what is integration, of course. Um, and this is a big debate. Like, uh, is it also like just following laws and rules? Or is it also like uh, like overtaking cultural values? But um, uh, I think the what you have to do first as a state, and then of course I like the society expect people when they come to integrate. Is the first step is to just follow the laws, and then all the rest is debatable, I guess. But um, but you have to give. Pe I think you have to give people a chance to participate, and if they can't vote, they can't work, and they live with a fear of being sent back uh, every year. Then I think integration is not uh, working. So and this is where they failed at. And now it's it's not as bad as it was before. Like people get work permits more quickly, but it's um, it's the same that they are for a long time in an uncertain status and uncertain. They don't know: Can I stay here? Do I have to go back? Can I get work? Can I nah? And it's yeah. I, I really think this. Do we have needs time for last than one more question? So, but if Germany, uh, if every war. Uh, that breaks Germany uh, takes as you said it's an immigration country one million here one million there one million from Ethiopia now there was tomorrow one million from Afghanistan then it won't be Germany anymore first of all I think uh, Germany has eight million people and it can absorb 80, uh, 80 million people right <laughs> and it can absorb a lot of people and there's a lot of space Uh, and potential but it's not even this simple because Germany has no has only borders with European countries uh, and so the thing is uh, the immigration law in Europe is that you have to stay in the country uh, of the European Union you reach first so for a long time Germany didn't take refugees in that changed in 2015 and um, the Italians are complaining a lot because most refugees and also in Greece they came they come over the sea over the Mediterranean and they land in Greece or uh, uh, Italy and then these countries had to absorb the most and now with the war in Ukraine and also normally the eastern countries were against a common immigration law so there's the idea that every European um, uh, that the European countries have to share the burden and every country has to take in a specific quota of refugees and especially specifically Germany because it doesn't have any borders uh, and the eastern countries were against this and I think now this is changing because now a lot of refugees are coming from the east so also the eastern countries of Europe are more open to a concept of distribution and I think this is going to be the next uh, next topic in Europe to how, how to, to share deal. the load. Yes, and I think this is actually a good thing that might come out of this terrible war. Okay, so Very the book in, in, in German, how do you pronounce this? Das Ding meines Lebens. Yeah, it's something we like we rule the streets. Um, yeah. It says Auf der Straße gilt unser Gesetz. Ah, yeah, Auf der Straße gilt unser Gesetz. Yeah, just forget Wait. about it. So Auf der Straße gilt unser Gesetz. Yeah. I, think, I think my German is not so bad. <laughs> yeah, your pronunciation is pretty good, actually. Yes, yeah, random... No idea what I'm saying, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so if 
someone reads German, how how do do they get the book? In uh, so the publisher publisher is part of Random House, so you can mm -hmm. get it on every platform there is, like Amazon bookstores. Um, it's uh, you can have it as an ebook on Kindle, um, another platform. Cool. Today I just got the Google Pixel. Ah. Oh, today you can read a book in any language. There is right, there yes. is in the Google Pixel. There's the part of the camera is you yes. put, you open the book up, you mm -mm, you put your camera mm -mm. on it and mm -hmm. you press translate mm -hmm. and boom. Yeah, you have the whole page translated right in front of you. That's how I do my Hebrew homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I hope your professor <laughs> doesn't <Google> listen. <laughs> so if you guys are really interested, which it sounds like a really really interesting yeah. book, you could buy it in German. And with a phone, with any smartphone, basically, today you could read this book in yeah. English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, there might be also a movie or miniseries and, uh, made out of it, and this oh. will have wow. English subtitles. That sounds more like yeah. up my alley, well, sitting in front of the TV and watching it on Netflix. <laughs> exactly. Have your, mind, uncultured have your mind being uh, with yeah. a spoon <laughs> exactly. shoved into it. <laughs> no, actually, it's a book we wanted to reach like Arab uh, youngsters with, and so this is also why we want to make a movie or a series yeah. out of it. Very cool. It seems also pretty so digestible. Much. Like it's kind of thick, but it's like it's not. It doesn't seem that like. It's not really heavy. that long or heavy, no, right? No, and it it's actually, it's really, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's almost like an action movie, I have to say. Like, it's just absurd how many, thi how many things he experienced in life. It's a wow. crime story. Very basically. interesting. I'm going to learn German and uh, <laughs> read it in the, I'm going to read Proust and this. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming. So you're on social thank media. You. How can people? Yes, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all okay. the things. <laughs> and you write for the world and we Christine Kench. Yeah. You guys look her up on Google, check out the book if you want to. And thank you so so much for joining. Thank it you. was really fascinating. Yeah. Really See you on the fun. next one. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. -bye.